everyone. Welcome to another Reimagining Windows show on TechNet Radio, our series of business value interviews for IT managers all around Windows 8. My name is Kevin Remdy, and I'm a senior IT pro evangelist on the U.S. Developer and Platform Evangelism team, and I'm your TechNet Radio host for today. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard that Microsoft has some new operating systems that are recently available, Windows Server 2012 and Windows 8. Now, today we're going to discuss Windows 8 and the very important topic of security. Now, it's been nearly 10 years since Microsoft launched something called the Trustworthy Computing Initiative. And in the years since, the advances that have come in, in XP, Service Pack 2, Windows Vista, and beyond have added some great improvements to the secure computing landscape. And Windows 8 carries this even further. So if you think security of your information and your IT systems is important, well, then I think you're going to get a lot out of what we're be, we'll be discussing today. Now, with us again, we're very fortunate to have a guy from Microsoft who has some great Windows 8 and some great security information for us, Stephen Rose. Stephen, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Kevin. This is, what, our third or fourth one together now? It's a third one now, yeah. We'll be doing a bunch one. of these. Absolutely. So, it's great. Thanks. So with a little back background about Stephen and his role at Microsoft, he's a senior product manager with the Windows commercial team at the Microsoft headquarters in Redmond. Before joining Microsoft, Stephen spent 15 years running his own IT consulting company, and in his current role, he manages the Windows technical content on the Springboard series on TechNet. He oversees Windows 7 and Windows 8 forums. He's the editor for the Springboard Insider newsletter. He writes for the Windows team blog, acts as the moderator for the Windows virtual roundtables, and leads the Springboard series tour in North and, so North and South America, as well as Europe and Asia. So Stephen does get around, and uh, anything having to do with Springboard, his his stamp is firmly on it. Absolutely. That's our goal. All right. All right. So now, Stephen, when most people think about security on a PC or a tablet, they're thinking about things such as um, keeping that device secure. They're thinking about malware, viruses, uh, things that attempt to attack a device and exploit vulnerabilities. What is the current state of the art as far as Windows-based devices are concerned? I think that there's a I think that there's a few things. I think number one, I think for the average consumer now having um, you know antivirus software built right in really becomes a great thing. And it absolutely, if you've not played with it yet, is truly a set it and forget it. Once the PC comes on, it scans on a regular basis. Go to a bad web page, it immediately pops up. It lets you know what's going on. So what's great is for so many folks where they bought an OS, didn't have that, and started looking, it's built in. And it's absolutely free. Can you use a third-party one? Absolutely if you want it. But this is so well integrated into the system, and it just does such a great job, it becomes one less thing for consumers to worry about. On the next level up, it's got to be UEFI. Um, and UEFI, which is part of our secure boot and measured boot uh, feature, is absolutely that. So for those not familiar with it, um, Intel about a year ago started to release information on something called SOC, System on a Chip. And the idea was that every chip that Intel now builds has a little mini operating system on it. And when the PC goes to load up, it checks for certain things within the PC. The first thing it does is that it takes a look and makes sure that none of the hardware in any way, shape, or form has been altered. Because if the hardware has been altered, drivers, things like that. It could mean that there has been a, a virus or a rootkit or something that, that's been put on the machine. It does do a quick scan of these to make sure that everything is good. If a user encounters a rootkit or some malware with today's antivirus software, it's very, very hard to remove it. And I always use the analogy. It's like trying to change tires on a moving car. It's a lot easier to stop it and put it up on jacks, and that's what it does. So 
I've done a demo where I actually release a piece of malware onto my system. A message comes up and it says, hey, we've found malware. We're going to go ahead and remove it. Go ahead and please shut down what you're doing and reboot your PC. So I do that. It reboots. It says now finding, scanning. And what it does is it, it knows where it's at. It targets it. It removes it. And then it will actually fix and repair any portions of the operating system that have been damaged. So it actually says, I'm going to pull this out. I'm going to pull a little chunk of the OS around it to make sure that nothing spread or nothing got corrupted. I'm going to replace these pieces and rebuild this portion of the OS. And then I'm going to reboot the system. And it said, it's been done. The key is really the fact that there is this mini operating system on the chip so that Windows, when we reboot, never even has to load. That it's able to, from this, and it's very secure, it's built into the ROM, it can be updated, but it's done through a series of cryptographic keys so it's secure to the end user, that this can be done. Add the fact that Windows 8 uh, Pro and Enterprise PCs can be domain joined. We have a wide variety of group policies, picture password, all the rest. We've really done a lot of great things to make it more seamless for end users and to really sort of sit in the background where they don't do it, need to do anything except say, yes, go ahead and reboot my PC. That's it. And that really is a, a, a key part of it, making it simple, certainly, for, for end users, for consumers, and, and business still having the ability to, to manage um, and, and track and, um, and limit access based on the state of a PC. And those things are all available uh, in, the, in the forefront of the suite of tools. But, I mean, even, even in things um, such as the anti-malware being built in, I mean, as simple as having Windows Defender with now the anti-malware capabilities, right. uh, where I get the question asked quite often, so with Windows 8, do I have to install antivirus? Do I have to install the, the security essentials for Microsoft again? And I tell them, no, you don't. No. It's essentially in there already. The essentials is essentially in there already, absolutely. And also the firewall piece as well, which says, hey, I'm going to close down these ports. It, it has really locked itself down, and one of the big uh, reasons why a lot of people, when we ask people, you know, why did you go to a third-party platform? Why did you decide to buy a Mac? They say, because Macs don't get viruses, which is not true. We've seen some rather evil-looking viruses come out from Mac users in the last year. And um, it was a great article in Wired saying how some guy, um, how they were able to go online, and once you have access to somebody's Apple.com account, they were able to wipe his phone, his iPad, and his PC with a single push of a button. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that was, that was pretty terrifying that that could happen, something where we've said, look, we have security pieces, and you can't do that with all of our devices. But the big thing was malware and, antivi and, and, and rootkits. So uh, what's great is Intel really led that charge. So UEFI is not a Windows product, and we've had some people that said, well, now I can't load Linux on UEFI machines. Well, A, not all machines have UEFI on the chip, but the ones that do, that's not our technology, that's Intel's. We've just found a way to build upon that and build a smarter, better, safer PC. And what we really look at is for those users who are not savvy, saying, hi, reboot your machine and we'll fix this, becomes a really great alternative to, oh, now you've got to boot into Dart and you've got to run tools from Dart from the Diagnostic and Recovery Toolkit and try to remove this piece of malware and go through that. That gets difficult, especially when we have BYO devices. So really we've tried to make it as seamless as possible. And I think um, Windows does a really great job. There's a really good video on Springboard on Secure Boot, Measure Boot, where we actually put in the virus. You can actually see how it goes through and removes it. So I'll encourage people in our Explore area to go ahead and take a look at that. All right, some really good stuff there, Steve. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, certainly um, antivirus, anti-malware is very, very important in having those, those uh, mechanisms in place even before the operating system, very important. Absolutely. So, so now let's talk about the data when it's on my hard disk. Um, of course, 
we have technologies such as BitLocker and other encryption technologies are out there certainly and and there may be some people that aren't familiar with such technologies like BitLocker. Could you tell us a little bit more about what BitLocker does and how we may have improved it in Windows 8? Absolutely. BitLocker is drive encryption technology. It's something that a lot of companies have paid extra money to have over the past years and what we've done is we build it in and it's really built into two different phases. It's BitLocker and BitLocker to go. Now one of the things about Windows 7 and one of the complaints that we got was BitLocker is awesome, but I'm buying laptops with half terabyte drives, and it takes so much time to encrypt that drive because it's going to encrypt every single square inch. Now, for our government customers, they have to do that. They're where it's going to take time, and that's fine. But for some customers saying, we don't use more than 40 or 60 gigs on this drive, and it's 250 gigs, we're encrypting all the space that's never going to get used. So we added functionality that allows you to just encrypt the data portion of the drive. So it will just encrypt the data. It takes a few minutes in the beginning because it sets up the algorithms, and then it goes ahead and it's very, very quick. I found I was able to do about 100 gigs of data in about 20 minutes as opposed to having to wait six to eight hours for a large drive to do. So that's the first thing. Number two is Windows to go. Um, there was a great story a few years ago that the British tax service um, had an absolute nightmare where somebody had the name of every British citizen on a USB key and it was lost. Mm. They found it two days later in a taxi cab. <laughs> and I love to say to people, you know, how many of you have got one of these in your bag and how many do you carry and do you keep track of them and where do they end up? And most people don't know. Using, a, you know, today USB keys are cheap. Matter of fact, we go to a trade show. If we don't get at least an 8 gig, we go, oh, forget it. I had somebody hand me a 256, <laughs> and I'm like, seriously? Well, I can't even reuse this for anything. I, you know, this is, this is crazy. I have 64 gig and 128 gig ones. But being able to use BitLocker to go, which enforces the encryption on that, if you give it to somebody else, it's going to require a password to get into it. Uh, it's backwards compatible which is great if you give it to somebody on XP or on Vista or on 7, they're going to be in great shape with it. So that's really sort of you know, the key things behind that. What I also love with um, Windows to go is the self-service portal. I'm sorry, not with, with, uh, with, with BitLocker and BitLocker to go, it's the self-service portal, and I've used this. I had a machine. I hadn't logged into it in a long period of time. I couldn't remember what the BitLocker password was, and I had lost my USB key that normally you would put in to recover that password. So I was able to go online with a different PC, log in, get the recovery key, copy it down, type it in, and be able to unlock my machine. And that was absolutely huge to be able to do that. So the ability to have a self-service portal so that your users can do that, being able to put your USB on a backup key, and what I do is right here on my keychain i have this very very nice one that i got from victoria knox it looks like a little switchblade but really uh what it is is it's a really nice 32 gig key it lights up and i keep my bitlocker encryption password and other really critical data on this it's encrypted uh which is great so i have all of that there so that really you know in a nutshell becomes a great thing that a is built into the pro and into the enterprise product requires no extra purchase. It's very, very easy to manage. Manage End users can do it if they want to do that, if their word is secure. And what's great is if someone removes that hard drive and physically takes it out of your machine, um, I'll, I'll take a step back. I have a great story from TechEd about two years ago. I'm in mm -hmm. Vegas. Uh, no, MMS. Sorry, it was MMS. We're in Vegas. And uh, I say to somebody, I said, you know, sir, come on up here. 
And I said, you know, and I, and I said, you know, how secure is your machine? And he says, absolutely. I've got a domain password on it, so it's absolutely secure. I said, can I borrow your laptop? I said, sure. Went up there, undid the screws, pulled out the hard drive, pushed his <laughs> laptop into an external enclosure, double-clicked on his profile folder, and then saw a folder called Photos from Vegas. And I said, so would it be okay for me to show these photos to the whole room? He's like, uh, no. I said, that's what I thought. How secure is your drive now? Not very. Put it back in, handed it to him, took my own drive from a second PC out, put it in and said, see, I can't get to anything. It's fully encrypted, zeroed out. I can't see anything. I can't do anything. It's absolutely useless to me. And that's a really powerful demo to show people. And it's a really powerful statement about our product to be able to do that out of the box, to be able to have that level of control and management over your device and over external devices like, you know, drives like this, which have gotten small and thin and I can fit in my pocket to be able to know that that's fully encrypted if somebody grabs it and it's going to be useless to them. That's a really, really great aspect. Yeah, and on a side note, um, for those of those folks that manage data centers, considering BitLocker to go, or not BitLocker to go, but BitLocker as the drive encryption technology that you can use on your storage systems now, uh, it's in Windows Server 2012, it's actually yep. supported as, as a, uh, a foundation of, uh, or a, a, an option for CSV, uh, cluster shared volumes for storage, uh, for a clustered file system now uh, that can be encrypted and automatically. So when you get rid of those disks later, you don't have to worry about that data getting in the wrong hands. It's simply encrypted in a way that no one can access. So yes, great technology and having it certainly in the, the devices that we, the, that we have running Windows 8 in, in Pro and Enterprise Edition, very, very powerful. Absolutely, absolutely. So I love it. So when as the as the famous bumper sticker sticker says, stuff happens, right? Yeah. Uh, well, what happens when my disk crashes, um, or what if I just simply delete something that's important, or make some big change to a document and, and accidentally save it and realize I shouldn't have overwritten what I had? Do I have any options for for restoring and recovering those those bits of information in Windows 8? Absolutely, and there's different ways to do that. One of the things that I do love is in Office, you do have the recovery where if window, if uh, Office locks up and it, you're working on a document, you haven't saved it recently, that you have that auto-save feature in there. That's a really, really key feature, and I think that that's a pretty important one. Within the system, there's file history, and I'm a huge fan of file history. Um, file history, that's something new, isn't it, in Windows File 8? history is absolutely something new, so um, let's do this. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring it up on my PC here so I can go to my settings. I'm going to go to file history. So uh, for you folks at home, if you go, if you're on a Windows 8 PC, go to file history. And what it will say is file history save cop saves copies of your files so you can get them back if they're lost or damaged. Now, the great thing is you can select a drive, and the first thing you're going to notice is not only can you select a hard drive that you have external, I have a very nice 2 terabyte hard drive, but I could also pick a network location. So I could through group policy or set this up where everybody is going to back up their stuff to a drive on the network the first time that they go ahead and log in. I can also choose which folders to exclude. So for example, I exclude my SkyDrive folder. I have local copies of that, but I don't need to be backing that up because it's already in SkyDrive. It's already in there. I don't need to waste time or resources doing it. And I don't back up my music. My music is backed up to a secondary external hard drive. It's 70, 80 gigs. It's a lot of space, and there's really no need for me to do that. But you can pick personal folders, pictures, things like that that you would not want to do. In your advanced settings, you can choose how often to save the files. So you could say every 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30, every hour, 3, 6, 12, or even daily. 
Mine is set for the default, which is every hour. And then size of the offline cache, 2, 5, 10, or 20% of disk space is reserved for the offline cache. And then how long to keep those saved versions? I can say until space is needed, only keep them for a month, or I could say forever or two years. Every two years, go ahead and get rid of the same versions. And I can even clean up versions because it will save multiple versions of those files. And I can say, you know what, get rid of everything but the latest versions. If I'm on a home group, I can share that out with the home group settings, and I can um, you know, bring that out, which is great. What's really, really nice, and this, you know, very simply, somebody said to me, oh, it's Time Machine on steroids. And it sort of is. <laughs> what I really love about that is, is you know, people by default have their backup set for 3 a.m., which means the first time they go into the office or they sit down and launch the machine, it's immediately trying to do a backup, and it's slowing the machine. What's great about file history is it's very, very quiet in the background. I never see my hard drive revving. I never see it, you know, chugging away or see a performance difference. But the nice thing is if I've been traveling, after three or four days, we'll say, hey, you haven't plugged into your file history for a while. And what's nice is with my PC, I don't use a docking station. I actually have a little stand that raises up my PC. I use an external keyboard and mouse, but I do everything off of a USB 3 hub. So I have my phone hooked up to it. I have my external hard drives uh, and all of that hooked up very nicely. So it gets very, very easy to do. I love file history. It's a little bit different than storage spaces, where storage spaces is the ability to take multiple small drives, tie them together, and basically do RAID and be able to store data across multiple runs for redundancy. This is a little bit different, and it's very easy to use. Literally, all the user needs to do is just turn it on, or if you're in an enterprise environment, just go ahead and through group policy, turn it on and redirect that. The user probably won't even realize that it's happening, but if you set it for a day or two days, if somebody says, hey, I've lost my file, something's gotten damaged, whatever, it's very, very easy to go back. And the other thing that I really like about it is that um, when you use a lot of third-party tools, it tends to encrypt it, and it uses their tools, and if you need a single file, it's difficult to find. When I go into my external drive, I see my SROS user profile. When I double-click, there is documents, desktop downloads. It's my standard file structure. It exactly mirrors what's on my PC. That's so really I smart. love it. That's it's really, really smart. I mean, because really yeah, we do we do make it another copy, but and so in that sense, it is just a most recent copy of your files. But at the same time, as you said, you're keeping snapshots of points in time. So you can actually open up a file or even an entire folder full of files and choose a point in time that you want to recreate and restore from that backup. It's really as simple as that. So it's a, it's yeah. a smart and then it just becomes a drag and drop, which every end user gets. Oh, I just need to copy this back because I lost this or I screwed up or I did this. So it's so easy to use and it's great. And I love the peace of mind that every time I back up my phone with pictures of things that are important to me, that that's going to be automatically moved out to that drive. And that works out really, really well for me because uh, I have been victim to a drive failure, and now I don't really worry about it. I'm right back to where I need to be. I have Windows to go, so I have access to that data through that, and I'm ready to go at a moment's notice. Fantastic. Now, we've talked about data at rest. We've talked about the security of the PC and the device. So let's talk about data in motion. And, of course, by that I mean the network. Mm -hmm. What kinds of connectivity options do we provide in Windows 8? And then along that line, what kind of security option do we give for those? Right. Well, we've talked about, you know, mobile broadband and, and what that happens to bring in smart. We've talked about that before, right? Mobile mm -hmm. broadband? Yep. Yes. So direct access. Um, direct access is absolutely that key feature. And, um, and it is absolutely the one feature that if you had to take it away from me, I wouldn't let you. Mm -hmm. um, for those that are not familiar with direct access, um, 
Direct access replaces the need for VPN. It replaces the need for that difficult to use uh, Cisco client where you've got to, you know, pull out your secure ID token, wait for it to reset, type in the six digits, go in, type in your password, wait for it to connect and go through all of that. Um, I love it that no matter where I'm at, on an unsecured or secured connection, I'm ready to go. So I could be sitting at a Starbucks, which is an unsecured connection. I get an email, and it says, uh, Stephen, please check out this document I've just put on our SharePoint site. Awesome. I click the link. I'm now in the SharePoint site. I'm now secure. I'm over IPv6. I'm fully encrypted, fully secure, automatically connected. I make those changes to the document. I save it. And then I click on ESPN. I'm off of the IPv6. I'm off the private tunnel. And I'm back on public. What's great is, and we've said this before in the shows, that end users don't care how it works. They just want it to work. I don't care how it works. I don't care how cool as an IT guy you think this is. I just want it to work, and I want it to be seamless. And that's what's great about direct access, is it's absolutely seamless to the end user. What we've done in Windows 8 when paired with Server 2012 was people said, A, direct access was difficult to set up. We've gotten that down to a four or five click setup, and it now supports IPv4 because a lot of folks said, I love this, but all my routers, BGPs, external stuff is not IPv6. So um, we've made those changes in it. But I think when you pair that in with our other technologies, that becomes a really critical piece of the work from anywhere scenario. And I know we talked a little bit about that in our mobile broadband scenario. Right, right. Yes, definitely. But, you know, it has security implications and having that secure tunnel always there, always available and, and well-managed as well, uh, certainly very, very good. And as you said, people just don't want to think about it. They just want to do it. Yep. And the great thing is if you don't know, if you have direct access or you're unsure, plus I now use virtual smart card, which means I don't need to at any point in time plug my smart card into a reader. It's automatically built in there via certificate. But what's great is um, if you take a look and, you know, you, you right-click on your connection when, let's say, you're on your desktop or you go to the Windows C and see that, when you're on direct access, it'll say direct access. And when you're not, it won't. So it's very, very easy to know. Uh, you know, if you're on that connection or not, simply by taking a look at your internet connection and seeing direct access, IT, VPN, which ones are enabled and which ones are not. So you'll automatically see that switch uh, in your taskbar as you move between the two. Excellent. Very good. Um, now, another aspect of security is having machines that are well managed. And, of course, um, meaning that we can apply policies as, as company-owned machines and resources we apply policies to enforce proper usage, um, applications that are allowed or denied. And for over a decade, we've had Active Directory, and we've had the ability to apply group policy to domain join machines. Is this still available to us? Are there changes? Absolutely. Or and I, I think, you know, there are. I know, for example, we went from 1,400 security policies to 1,500 in IE, and we've always added more. What's great is sort of how you put that together. And, you know, one of the first things is with direct access, what is great is you're able to push those out to machines, um, you know, that are sitting in someone's house. I remember one night my machine was in uh, sleep mode. All of a sudden it woke up, it started churning around, and I realized it was pushing out a, a, an update to group policy. It updated the group policy, and then it put the machine right back to sleep. And it was awesome. I'm like, holy crap, that's cool that it just did it. It's, and it treats it as if it were two feet away from you. Um, Windows Intune is another great product, which along with like SCCM, SCCM is great. But what I love about Windows Intune, and for those not familiar with it, go out to windowsintune.com or take a look on Springboard. But it gives you the ability to offer some great features. You can uh, manage machines and you can take a look at security updates and patches. 
What I love about Windows Intune is A, it is a per seat license, but B, um, you don't have to have a domain join machine. So it installs the Windows Intune agent. Once the agent is installed, it will tell me what is, is your, if your machine is infected, I can you know, go ahead and fix that. I can tell which patches have been installed, what security fixes have been installed. I can update and roll out GPOs to you if you're part of the domain. I can roll out apps to you. You can even request remote assistance. Between what we've done in Windows Intune and SCCM and all of the new features, in Windows Server 2012 that better help to lock down Windows 8, we truly do have now the fastest uh, you know, operating system out there booting in a matter of seconds, six second seconds to come up, instant on when it's sleeping, you know, 160 hours of standby, et cetera. But that always feeling that you are secure, you're getting the latest patches and updates, and that the machine is where it needs to be, that it's getting those, it's doing it, and then every few days with Windows 8, it'll say, hey, you need to reboot but it's smart in what it puts on there and what you don't need to and other times that you do. So it really uh, you know, sort of walks that line very nicely in keeping users secure and up-to-date and patched. And it's really light years beyond where we were at with Windows XP on so many levels, and it really takes what worked well in Windows 7 and takes it to another level. Excellent, excellent. Good news on the, on the management side for sure. Um, and a big part of that also not only has to do with policy, but also um, allowed applications and the yeah. applications that we we either provide our users that we create, create in-house, that we um, promote or install for them on their behalf. Do I still have the ability to limit applications that are installed in my business? Um, because we now have this new world of this thing called the Windows Store, right? And we have yep. new Windows 8 applications. Uh, do these new Windows applications, um, are they in any way more trustworthy? And what options do I have in a business as far as um, certified applications or, or loading sure. applications? Well, I think there's two things. A, enterprise customers still have AppLocker. So if you say, you know, either through group policy, don't allow the store, or through AppLocker, don't allow the store, don't allow people to install, you know, the, this app. Maybe there's a new app that allows people to go around and create a, a VPN. If you know the name of that app, you can go into AppLocker and you can say, don't allow this application. And AppLocker works with Windows 8 applications now, too. It's not just Absolutely. the old uh, desktop applications. Okay, yep, good. It, it will, as long as you can map to the, to the file, you're fine. But instead of blacklisting, it's a whitelist. You can always say, these are the only ones that people can use, or you can still do the blacklist. It's really up to you on how much you want to do that. But secure coding with Windows 8 apps is another key piece. Um, I had an Android phone for a while. Uh, before the Windows phones came out, I think the last phone I had before our first Windows phone uh, was uh, Samsung Galaxy. And I was amazed at how difficult it was to find simple things within settings. And if anybody's had an Android device, you are familiar with the app called Kill All. And what it does is it goes in and it kills any applications that are running in the background. The big problem that I had with a lot of the Android-type devices are it's pretty much the Wild West, and anybody can build an app. Read the little document before you click, you know, yes, okay, after you install, it says, give this app permission to. And it will say things like, Tell via GPS where you're at every 30 minutes. Run in the background. Share your browsing history. I was amazed at the level of things that some of these apps did, and for no more of a reason than to gather data from a game. I'm like, why does a game need to know where I'm at every 30 minutes? Why? Because they want us all that information and make money. So um, there, are really, there are really two or three bad things. Number one is the ability to track a lot of your personal information. Number two, to track your personal whereabouts. And number three, battery life. It sucks the hell out of battery life because these things are consistently running. So 
what we did during Windows, and we took a really good page from the Windows Phone folks, was all apps, first of all, have to follow secure coding rules, number one. Number two, after a certain period of time, apps will automatically shut themselves off, or they will limit what they are doing to make sure that you get that level of battery life. And number three, they have to be very, very clear and concise what they are doing. And we won't allow apps that do things like gather GPS every 30 minutes just because it wants to and things along that line. So you can feel very confident when you're installing an app. It's only accessing the resources that it absolutely has to, that you're aware of it, and as soon as it doesn't have to anymore, it will stop or shut down, therefore creating a very, very secure environment for the user. It does put more restrictions on developers, but these are restrictions that keep the end users safe, especially when you have end users who just go, oh, that looks fun, and they click it, and they don't know. It also ensures when you remove that app that everything is removed and we're not leaving little dangerous pieces behind. So it really becomes that key, and I think secure coding is a really great direction, and it's something I'd like to see a lot of other people and a lot of other companies who build apps do that. Uh, and I think that, having them signed, certified, I think really gives a better experience to uh, anybody who's going to leverage those. And if you build it yourself, you have that process where you can sign and certify your own apps for your own users internally, but they still have to follow a certain level of secure coding and uh, battery life management. That's good. And, and yes, I mean, certainly having that ability to build an application and deploy it without having to go to a, through a third-party store or Microsoft store or Windows, Windows store, um, yep. it's going to be beneficial for businesses and still at the same time, as you say. It's certified, it's it's trusted, it's sandboxed, it's not going to uh, interfere with anything because it's running in that in that environment. Absolutely, yeah. We have a lot of apps that we sideload that we use internally or that we test, and there's two ways to get them. Uh, either A, we have a self-service portal, uh, which we can go to, and we have apps there, and we can click, and we can launch those and put those on our machines, and those are corporate-built apps that we use for things internally. And then we have some that we build to show off at events and shows, and we'll put those on the USB key. They're signed and certified. We run a PowerShell script. It double-checks the machine, it looks for the certification, and then, and then it installs those. And we can make those also through DISM, part of our images that we also push out. So there's a lot of different options to be able to do that. Uh, you know, what's great is that if you're on an RT machine or on a Pro machine, you can have that um, app store, that private app store, which leverages SCCM and Windows Intune. Uh, on the enterprise machines, you have that great side-loading capability. So there's different ways to do it that will make sense for different users and different groups as they start to do that. But that true, fully managed internal app store is now absolutely reality, and that's the thing that our customers have asked for for a long time that our competitors really don't offer. Excellent. Very good. Now, in our chat last time, we talked about Windows to Go. We were talking about mobility, and Windows to Go being this really great option to be able to put a, an image of Windows 8 Enterprise, uh, an installation on a USB stick that your employees can take with them, they can boot into their operating system from the USB stick, from any supporting hardware. Now, the big question in this talk in the context of security, of course, is, is it secure? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the great thing is Windows to Go can be domain joined. So the, all the group policies... Everything that secures your PC is right there as well. We don't have TPM support. That's something we don't have. But the ability to know that it is secure on that level is absolutely there. So that's the great thing. And that if you change the password, again, if your laptop gets stolen, hey, I'm going to change your password, you're going to have to log in. You're going to have to change that out and go through those same steps. So I feel very secure that when I pull this out of my bag that it's as secure as my PC. And however somebody would have to go through and crack that PC, they're going to have to go through the same level. So it really gives me a good peace of mind as I do that. 
And there is an option, too, to enable a BitLocker-like encryption on the USB stick itself, is there not? That is absolutely correct. It's the same encryption uh, that we use, um, absolutely. And then you have MBAM, which you can use to manage that encryption either on for the Windows to go devices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, different ways that, that people can use that. I don't think we've talked about MBAM, have we? No, well, MBAM stands for Microsoft BitLocker. Administration Management. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. That is that self-service portal that we talked about earlier that if you forget your BitLocker password that you can go in. So it is a way for me to see who's BitLocked, who hasn't, manage that, and create that self-service portal for end users to go in. So absolutely. Even Windows RT devices are encrypted. It's a form of BitLocker. It can't be managed through MBAM, but it's great to know that if somebody pulls the SSD drives, for example, out of an RT machine, they're not going to be able to read that data and get into it. So. Uh, there's different levels of it. It is a form of BitLocker password, but it is very much the direction we're going, and we believe that all data and devices should be secure uh, on different levels, depending on what you're doing. But there's different levels to manage it. But it is important that um, you know that your data stays safe, especially if people get in there and try to pull things out. We want to make it as tough for them as possible. Definitely, very good. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, you've given us a lot of great things to think about, and uh, we'll, we'll post links to the uh, resource page around this, uh, this video as well. Um, could you give us any more uh, resources, anywhere people should go? I, I think I know one that you're interested in promoting. Always, always the Springboard series, Microsoft.com forward slash Springboard, where you can get all of your information around Windows 7. Uh, if you click over in the right-hand corner, you'll see we've added new zones for Windows 8 and IE 10. So anything you're looking for around IE 8, IE 9, IE 10, all of our MDOT technologies that we've talked about, both our desktop virtualization, our physical, Dart, AGPM, UEV, everything. We have that all right there. And what's great is we have videos, we have white papers, we have FAQs. Uh, we have the eval. So lots of different ways to do stuff, and I'll also encourage people to check out the Springboard Series Insider. It's our monthly newsletter, and unlike other newsletters that come out, we basically focus in on tips and tricks, real-world examples, things that you can do to get yourself up to speed on Windows 7, Windows 8, and really manage your infrastructure better. And it really is first look at everything that's going to be coming on the Springboard site itself. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again for your time today, Stephen. Thank you. Always a pleasure.